it's your boy Paul, aka Mr. What the Footy, your favourite podcast host, and I have a special episode coming to you now. Sports science is the bedrock of a modern football club. Fit, robust, and healthy players form the foundation of success. Just in the month of October alone, there were 99 injuries in the Premier League and there's been a 42% increase in muscular injuries this season. For this exclusive episode, I sat down with Lewis McMillan, first team sports scientist at Fulham Football Club, to understand how Premier League clubs reduce injury and improve performance. Guys, I hope you love this episode. Not like it, I hope you love it. So download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a putting in awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's, the Let's just win this to appease the fans. Welcome to the What The Footy Podcast. The podcast takes football fans behind the scenes, giving you insight into football business, management and operations. Today, I'm joined by a very, very special guest. He's Scott Parker's right-hand man. His rise within the game has been remarkable. He's Fulham's first team sports scientist, Lewis McMillan. Welcome to the What The Footy Podcast, man. Wow, that's a wonderful introduction. I'll take that anytime. I need to get around the place wherever I go. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Thanks, Paul. No, so, so uh, obviously a key part of the show and what makes it unique is what the foot are you lying for? Obviously one last uh, last season's one, so uh, no pressure Oof. for me coming at the block. So um, hit me with your uh, three statements, man. Absolutely. Okay, so the first one is, so sports so far has brought me to work across eight countries in three different continents. So that's number one. Yes. Three continents. Yep. Yeah. The second one is I was the youngest first team sports scientist in the Premier League when I first joined. The youngest sports scientist. And the next one? Uh, the, The last one is I have been involved in three promotions and two demotions so far in my career. So promotions the youngest sports scientist within the premier league i believe is true okay um I, I just got a gut feeling about that in terms of like what you're doing obviously you've been at fulham for like nearly five years and obviously we're going to get into it as well um so that one i believe is a bit believable obviously i'm looking at you now look a bit like the baby face the satin <laughs> so um... that's only because i'm doing movember you see so it's taking <laughs> 20 years off me i think I'm about five years old right now. <laughs> um, eight eight countries, three continents. Wow. Um, I don't know about that. Fulham, obviously, come up to the Premier League. Um, three promotions, two demotions. Doing a bit of maths here. Two relegations. Yep. 
So I'm going to say the eight countries, three continents is a is a lie. I'm going to say the three promotions, two demotions, and the youngest sports scientist in the Premier League are both true. But we'll find that towards the end. Um, but yeah, Lewis, I thought obviously it would be great to to bring you on the podcast this season. We're deep diving more into um, the structure of a football club and life behind the scenes. And I think sports science has always been an integral integral sort of part of that, whether you look at Arsene Wenger and the way people speak about him and what he brought over to the game. Just sort of talk me through the sort of team structure um, at Fulham and how it's almost evolved and developed over the last last four or five years since you've been there. Absolutely. Um, so the hierarchy of how it really works is the fact that mm. you've got obviously the manager and the managerial staff at the top. So usually that consists of an assistant coach um, or two assistant coaches. Um, and then with that, you have a head of performance who kind of oversees the um, head of sports medicine and then the, the sports scientist as well. So the two separate parts. So the sports medicine department, you've got your physios, your sports masseurs or sports therapists. And then you have the club doctor or doctors. Um, and then the sports science department, you have um, obviously all the different parts. So you have it split up mostly in our department we do. So I'm involved heavily with the, uh, the data side. Um, and working back from rehabilitation there, we have just got a couple of new members of staff, actually, one who's specialising in rehabilitation and bringing the players through early stage onwards. So the SNC that side. And then we've got a late stager um, SNC. And then we have the overall head of performance as well. Um, the other thing that's quite important for us and in, in general in, in, in sport and in football is our interns, who are what we consider members of staff. And we like to make sure that they train up accordingly learn all the skills that we can so we have two of those for the sports science department um usually medical departments are slightly bigger than sports science departments um and then you've obviously got the performance analysis guys as well who work on the tactics and they work closely on the video analysis and etc and they work with the players as well no definitely man and obviously like you've been at fulham for about four to five years now worked and seen obviously different managers coming and out of the door yes. obviously working working with scott parker now as well what's what's been the sort of um, buy-in from managers in terms of sports science and them seeing the importance of actually using the data to to really optimise performance on the pitch? A great question, actually. Um, it, it will vary from manager to manager. Um, mm. I think younger managers um, are more inclined to, 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 to go with that, but that's a huge bias. But um, in general, they're more inclined to understand what's going on in these things. I think what was helpful as well is the fact that um, with our manager, obviously coming through the back end of his career, he was here at Fulham as well. And so mm. to the, the good thing about sports science and medical departments is the fact that they want to elongate careers as well. And so it becomes even more important to do your SNC work, to work with your prevention, to, to work alongside these guys and get an understanding. And I think coming to an end of a career uh, with him and, and really getting that buy-in from that side has helped for us. Um, with, with Scott Parker and, and I'm sure with other other younger managers. Um, with older managers like Arsene Wenger, like you said, um, and Alex mm. Ferguson, so Alex Ferguson, um, they both saw the the great insight that we can we can provide for prevention of injury, for idea of how training can be managed easily. Because I think it can be quite apparent that you've got certain drills, but actually understanding what you're getting out of that to, to um, amplify what's what's going to be on the pitch is 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 really important. That's something we can provide. 
Yeah, and I think just on that as well, what would you say are the sort of key performance metrics that you guys really study and analyse on a on a week by week basis? It's absolute secret, can't tell you. <laughs> no <Can't> joking. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Um, well, I think the obvious things are so. What I like to tell um, the guys that um, the intents and things, the things that are so important, are the basics. So understanding the intensity at which you're going at, the frequency at which you're doing it. And then the time and the volume in which it's occurring. So the classic three, volume, intensity, and, and frequency. Um, so we need to understand things like, okay, so you've hit a certain speed. And let's say for it's sprint distance. So that's 25.2 kilometers an hour and over. So how yeah. often are you hitting that? Um, what distance are you doing it? And you know how much are you accumulating over a week? Um, because for us, in football, we're heavily looking at things like hamstring injuries, or if we're trying to look mm. for injury basis, we understand that the more intense it becomes and the more volume of say, you know, high-end metric like that, the more likely you are to get a hamstring injury unless you've done a good chronic, so built up that volume, built up that. So if you, for instance, get a massive spike and you suddenly do a huge distance in that, it's likely that you're gonna get a hamstring injury if you've had nothing prior. So we then look at all these metrics, understand this, and then also get a picture of the physicality or the robustness of the individual. So when you're looking in the gym, we have metrics specific to there. So how fast can you lift a weight type thing or how powerful are you? Because these are all different parts in which we can say, okay, that athlete can tolerate a load. And if they're unable to, then they're more likely to get an injury. So that's why we work yeah. so closely with um, sports medical departments. And I think just on the last bit there, sort of explain um, sort sure. of the concept of load management. I know obviously it's quite a yeah. big, a big key word. You're always looking to get mm. an optimal load. And, and how much of a challenge is it to almost manage optimal load for different players of different ages, different injury records and, and, and really maximising that? Absolutely. Well, you're, you're actually touching on my, uh, this is actually what I'm studying. I'm doing my PhD in this <laughs> field and oh, I'm wow, finding yeah. it incredibly difficult. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Um, it, it's, it's so important. And um, there's so many different aspects you've got to consider because one thing I think is so crucial that people just focus on what's going on in the pitch. Right. But that, that is hmm. just a specific stressor. So, you know, volume and things like that, but there's so many other things that are loads outside of which, so things like your social aspects, things that are going on that you, we don't know about that we can't control. So sleep, for instance. Mm. Um, so load is a small part of the bigger picture, but um, load management really is realistically involves monitoring our athletes as much as we can to get an idea of how they're fitting. So usually what occurs is that you use little devices like the GPS that you normally see on, on TV yeah. now. So there's companies like Catapult, Statsports, et cetera that people use, um, they go onto the back of the players. Um, and what they do is they track via satellite to see where they're doing. So that's how we get metrics like total distance or um, sprint distance, et cetera, accelerations. Um, yeah. And we can then use this to monitor on a weekly basis how much they're doing on a daily basis and then get an understanding of this is where they need to be on a weekly basis to be able to compete. This is the fitness levels they need to be accumulatively to tolerate a certain load. And then this is their outputs during a game. Now, the interesting thing about a game is the fact that you're in a stadium. So using yeah. a device like a satellite um, doesn't really work too well. You start getting quite bad metrics. So in the, in the stadium, like you probably know when you see uh, Sky or BT, 
they've got stats. Yeah. We use a similar system, which is by videos, and then we can do the same load management and understand. That way we get a picture of the athletes' uh, outputs, what they need to, what the game demands, and how then we can uh, manage accordingly. Does it always work perfectly? No is the answer because otherwise yeah. you would get zero injuries if it was purely load. And that's why I'm trying to get across. It's there's so many other things involved that you need to think about. Psychology is massive. So that's why we have a club psychologist to understand yeah. that load and that stress um, and how that influences. There's things like sleep that we said, their recovery is so important um, because that is like you do that one third of your life. So you need to understand that's an important recoverer. Um, and diet. So these are all other aspects that we have to consider on this point of view, not just the load. Um, but load management becomes really central when we're talking about a rehab, rehab player. So someone who's come back from an injury, we need to understand from day one to where they need to be and how we can load them safely and efficiently to where they need to be to be in the training session. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, definitely. Now, I want just to even just add to that as well. Yeah. Would you almost say that in terms of your time at Fulham, this is probably going to be the most challenging season for, uh, for you guys because of the fact that you've just come off of a really grueling season in the championship, yeah. which is one of the toughest leagues to almost navigate and come through. We're now into a season now where there's been not really much of a pre-season there. You've got quick turnaround of games, a slow ability to recover quickly. And and I think the stats are really telling in terms of some of, some of them I can read off now. There's yeah, been a 42% increase in muscular injuries in Oct uh, in the season so far. There's been 99 injuries uh, in October alone. And what do you think is almost needed to almost deal with this? And how much of a challenge is, is this this unusual season going to be for guys like yourself, man? Absolutely. No, it, it's, a, it's a good question. I wish I had all the answers for this. Um, <laughs> um, but... You're, you're totally right. If we if we talk a little bit back, if I go back in history a little bit and talk mm. about um, the COVID experience, um, really, I think that might be quite interesting in the sense that yeah. we had a period off in that time and where we couldn't even monitor athletes. So as a load management aspect, that was quite that was very difficult. And we mm. were going for the, the playoffs or, or trying to get straight promoted that season for from the championship upwards. And so the fact is we went from a normal length season to having this huge delay, basically having to do a pre-season again to get back in. Um, and obviously it went from individual to group to team based activity outside before they were, they yeah. were in lockdown and they came out. Um, and so you had like a mini pre-season to get them ready again, but there was no way that you were gonna get them up to that kind of level. Um, safely that is, you need a, a period of time. That's why a pre-season should be four to six weeks. So you have a period of time to get them to tolerate for a certain load. Um, and then we had an elongated season because obviously the playoffs, we then had two weeks off to then come straight back into doing two weeks of work into the Premier League. So for us, it's been a, it's a, a very hard turnaround, but I have to say that the, the guys here have done a, a really good job, the S&C department, um, sports science. So my boss, Ali Harris, um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and the rest of the guys in the, the medical department have done a wonderful job from mm. getting a two week period to being able to get into the season. And I think you're right. Um, if you push too hard and too high a load, um, it's what we normally call a spike in load, literally. And then we know there is a delay factor of about three weeks post that in which there is a higher risk of injury according to the research. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're kind of seeing um, such high rates of injury early on in the season. We normally do anyway, but mm. 
this is exemplified now because there hasn't been such a graded or that ability to to grade as easily as normal because it's a non-normal season and i think what we'll see as well yeah. is december time we we can see as such a conglomerate of um yeah conglomeration sorry of of uh, fixtures that it'll be uh It'll be an interesting period, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say because if we're already seeing ninety nine injuries and a forty two percent increase yeah. already, yeah. God knows what's going to happen because the data tells us yeah. that December to January is, is the toughest part of the season. So yes, but what I wanted to also ask there as well is especially yeah. navigating through COVID, how much have you almost seen player empowerment almost increase in terms of them taking responsibility for for their bodies and and almost working on themselves and, and almost buying into into the culture behind sports science. I think the guys that may have not done that could have had a higher risk of injury. I don't know about our club, but possibly elsewhere if they weren't compliant. Yeah. And I think you have to have as strong leaders um, in a group and a group that's already, like you say, got the buy-in. We're, we're quite um, lucky that we've got obviously the manager buy-in. We've got a great cohort of, of guys here as well that buy into what we, what we um, preach. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, during that that COVID period, um, it was it was excellent. It really was um, because we weren't able to monitor like we normally do. There was a lot of reliance on on the players being um, basically taking the lead. And yes, we we found that, and that was the great. If they didn't, they knew that the fact that the risks were higher for them because if you're coming in not in fit, and then you're expected to to try and compete. I'm sure that's as you know that's not great trying to push yourself so high right above where you're able to, to sorry your fitness is and so um no they were very compliant and it was it was great no that's good to hear man and i was listening to uh lester's um head, head of sports science that he was the sort of architect behind when they won the league and they had some crazy stats in regards to 96 percent availability of players that season only using 18 players and his sort of mentality mm-hmm. is that injury prevention is the is the foundation for the success. Obviously, it's not a guarantee, but it's the foundation for a, for a club being successful. And and, and you almost look at um, the Premier League, for instance, as well, like some stats were produced that said that over a cost of a season, it costs about £221 million for, for injured yeah. players. And what I wanted to find out from yourself is what, what sort of data and tech are you guys using and, and almost really leveraging to almost... Reduce, almost eliminate the process of you having to come in and really do the rehabilitation stage? Yeah. Um, firstly, that statement about um, Leicester City, great. That, that's so true. Like research shows yeah. that those that have got high availability do more successful, um, are more successful, sorry, in their leagues and also in competition in any league. So whether that be the Champions League or, or, or et cetera. Um, so yeah, research knows that. And that's why there's so much investment in teams in that kind of Mm. um, recovery aspect or monitoring aspect um, to try and increase the availability. Uh, In terms of tech, I think tech is great, but it also relies on the expertise of the individual as well. Um, Mm. It's that classic answer of science and art. Um, Mm. But for us, technology wise, we'll use GPS like like most clubs. We've got the video analysis as well. we'll study like mechanisms of injury. Um, We've got equipment in the gym that understands force velocity. So we can understand where an athlete is on a curve. 
so we can try and produce them and shift them to being a more powerful athlete. And that includes things like um, isoinertial equipment, or it includes things like, like I say, the, the gym aware, like force velocity um, aspects there. We've got equipment to look at recovery from neuromuscular fatigue. So using a, a force platform to do jumps and then analyze off there. Um, we use that in rehabilitation as well to understand asymmetries. As asymmetries, the more asymmetrical, we, that's an understanding research that, that also increases injury risk. Um, um, in terms of things like monitoring when guys have come in, we take things like bloods and salivas as well. So we're looking at muscle damage and we're also looking at immune system responses from that perspective. So again, trying to reduce that uh, timeout period. Um, we look at heart rates, uh, heart rate zones, and also like the heart rate variability for stress. And um, so there's many things, but it's, yeah. the thing is, is not one thing you can look at. And it's not like there's a smoking gun. Um, I think a lot of people try and, or may make the mistake of coming into sports science and thinking, oh, this new technology is going to tell me the answer right now. And it, it can't because there's, mm. there's, there's too much variability. Um, but it's important to look at it on a mosaic point of view and then get a reading of all these different things. And then the best thing I also find is actually asking the individual, because if you have that buy-in and that trust, um, sometimes it's that, how are you? Good and fine, but, but how are you really? And then yeah, go, yeah. okay, yeah, this, this happened today. And it's something that's nothing to do with the field. It could be, um, for instance, a case where someone's had a, a newborn baby and they're not sleeping and the performance dr drifted because they're just not getting the recovery. So then we have a chat and say, um, okay, it's got nothing to do with the pitch side. So how can we resolve the situation for you? Um, so that helps availability because actually um, one of my key fields is sleep and that has a huge mm. factor on uh, rate of illness, uh, injury risk, and also overall performance. So it's lots of things we look at there. Talk, talk to me a bit more about obviously the road to rehabilitation because okay. I think two, two of the fascinating things that I find within, within football, obviously being a football fan, yeah. is balancing, obviously, getting non-starters, people who aren't playing week in, week, week out, up to a level whereby if somebody gets injured, they yeah. can come in. Because what you tend to see, sometimes players who aren't playing regularly come in and then within a, a game, within a, a couple of games, they're injured and they're out for, for a while as well. And also as well, seeing the trend of players being rushed back and then having another uh, another injury as well. So just sort of talk me through road to rehabilitation and ensuring that you're maximising um players and ensuring that they're coming back at the right time it's such a difficult one isn't it um yeah. because you want the best performance for that individual and also the best performance for the team and sometimes when you yeah. have those key players you you're trying everything um yeah, like Mitrovic in it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um um yes so rehabilitation we we kind of follow similar protocols from like matt taverner matt P taverner produces really good like road to recovery um ideology or kind of concept framework i, I should mm. actually call it um and we kind of follow a similar line of it in the sense that first of all what we do is we normally have a discussion if the, as soon as an injury has occurred the first thing is scan or understand what's happened to the player so the, the physios the medical department do their thing we understand once we find out what's happened we then have a discussion as a group um the rehab SNCs or sports scientists will then talk with the, yeah. the physios that are leading on that player and then talk the, the process through. Um, again, I can't give you specifics simply because every individual injury is so individual, um, but mm. it could be a case of things like um, early doors, maximizing the, um, the athlete's 
um, sorry, preventing muscular atrophy, so loss of muscle. Um, that could be doing things like blood flow restriction. Um, so we're using things like um, a device that cuffs it and basically it keeps the kind of stimulating the muscle in that sense um, and doing exercise that and then progressing on to doing exercise with a blood flow restriction cuff um, to therefore so they can't do as much load but it feels like they're doing a lot of load and therefore the muscles working harder but at a low load so there's less risk of um, um, of injury and things like that we then move on to um, off-field gym work processing like um, if it's an ankle injury it could be proprioception um, making sure that stability is there progressing all the way through until we're on the grass um, and then we have another discussion about right how do we progress them what time frame do we see how do we test during that period of time so we've got green lights amber lights red lights what's what do we say they're ready to go back onto um, mm. And then we get them into a place in which they can be integrated into training session on a modified basis. So that means not going straight in and sprinting, uh, you know, like, yeah. 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 Um, but doing certain drills, kind of reintegrating back into the squad slowly to the point at which that we can see and we know that they feel one in themselves comfortable that they can be there. Two, we know that they are capable of being there. Um, and three, we know they're capable of going into a match situation and performing at 100%. Um, yeah, because I think I think for me, one that really shocked me was how quickly Andre Gomez at Everton came back from yeah. his uh, from his ACL injury. And obviously, uh, Van Dyke's out of an ACL as well, and it's, yeah. it, it's just crazy the, the level yeah. of sp the, the speeds that the players can almost come back. So absolutely, and, and and it's totally individual. For example, you can get an injury that seems so innocuous, mm. and that pain response is there far beyond what you would think could be there. Um, whereas another player could be like, right, that's it. I'm, I've just had my hamstrings completely destroyed. Um, <laughs> but I've had my operation, I've had my repair and now I'm four weeks, five weeks early than I expected. It's, it's totally variant and you need, and I think that understanding of the individual and thinking you can't push them too hard to the point at which you get them back into their first yeah. game. And they, they, now they're out for another six weeks because the other thing that's important to remember is that once they've had an injury history, that means that they're, they're now compromised in the sense that they have a new area in their load management that you have to consider. So if they've got a hamstring mm. injury, you need to consider, can they tolerate this? Have we built them so that they are able to tolerate the high intensity loads, um, which is important for, for, especially for positional benefits. So such as a winger that's going to be sprinting more. So if they are have this injury history, you don't want a reoccurrence because once they've had it twice, that occurrence becomes more and more frequent and then their longevity could be compromised. So like I say, essential yeah. to make sure that yeah. they're okay. And I think, I think that leads on nicely to um, something I wanted to discuss with you, which was yeah. the whole idea of ageism within football. We almost mm. hear the, the cliche of a player's reaching towards 30 mid 30s and it's yeah. almost like get rid like get get rid of them and it's a case yeah. of how how can we almost see more players of that post 30 in the mid 30s playing within the premier league and why is there a real lack of them because i was looking at the data before i was coming on here to speak with you and of injuries of players who were over the age of 35 in the last football injury index report there were only about nine and typically those people in those positions um, of that age bracket, sorry, were goalkeepers. Yes. Why is it that we see so so low level of um, like a low level of um, 
of over 30s players playing at the highest level week in, week out? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, and I, um, I think you've got to think of philosophy styles um, mm. of play. Um, and also that integration of, well, if you're then biasing all the way to the top, wh what happens to the younger players coming through? Um, yeah. You know, because you've got someone like uh, Liverpool, another example. So they're, they're, um, Trent, I was, uh, yeah. Trent even, sorry. He, um, he's come through so young and really, really excellent in that position. But if you're biasing the order, then he's never going to be able to shine in that, that regard. Yeah. Um, but also the intensity of the game requires fast recovery and as we get older that recovery means that that prevention needs to be greater a lot longer and that recovery time takes longer so the time in between your ability to train might be compromised or have to be modified even sorry and then that recovery has to be extended that prevention work um we also know that muscles become less compliant um calf injuries exponentially increases age gets older um, and we know that your ability to 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 get muscles also um, sorry to to have um, the atrophy effect of muscles also increases with age so there's those kind of aspects biological aspects that have a have a kind of problem to this kind of age conundrum yeah. um, but again the intensity of the game that that's in the premier league is is second to none um, and also the fact that it's so tactical. So there's a lot of recovery runs. So it's why I think you'll see when you're looking at median ages of certain positions as well, them being younger mm. for certain ages, sorry, certain positions rather than others. So centre-backs can be older than say wing-backs or, or wingers, dependent on how mm. their play style is. Um, but some teams incorporate it. So you can see someone like a, a Rooney, for instance, dropping further back as he's got older to a position where he's sitting. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that, I'd say that this has to be a certain philosophy of the, the club as well. Yeah, no, that's good because I was having a debate with a friend of mine because um, when Tottenham signed Bell, Harry mm. Redknapp was saying that Tottenham should sign Luka Modric as well. I believe he's about 35. And yeah. I was saying to a friend of mine, the intensity of the Premier League, like you have players like Adama Traore who just leave you for dust. <laughs> and um, yeah. I, I was of the argument that I don't think he'll be able to come and play. If he's playing week in, week out, I think the demands will be too much on, on his body from a load management perspective. Yeah. But my friend had other ideas, but yeah. who knows? I think you're seeing it as well. So the NBA is a great example of this. Yeah. It's kind of There was a huge debate over load management on this, but it was also about creating... I saw it from the flip side, being a sports scientist. It's about creating mm. that kind of longevity of the, the athlete as well. So someone like LeBron James, who's getting older, but still, you know, absolutely phenomenal, um, yeah. might need some modifications so he can play in the important games. And I think that's what you'll find with the kind of age, that time to recover, that time to, to be able to meet those demands, you might need to modify slightly. So there's still a place. And I think we're now, that we're only talking about performance on the pitch. Now, the benefit of having older players might be that experience. So when you're going into mm. a playoff final like we did, I, I know that anecdotally that the, the benefit of having players that experienced that before meant that mm. we had a calm demeanor and there was a lot of chat beforehand and, and it, it has a calming effect um, having that kind of experience in it. And that, that has a huge, huge effect on, on team performance as well. So I, don't, I think uh, the behind the scenes is important with older players. Yeah, I, I love how you mentioned the, the NBA there as well. And I wanted to yeah. ask you in terms of, 
obviously I know the American sports have been using data in terms yeah. of on the sports science stuff for a very, very long time. Obviously, you guys are owned by by an owner who runs an NFL team as well. Yes. How much of a link is there with, with the with the Jaguars in terms of what you guys do and learning from uh, the NFL learn from from other American franchises. So we've had players go across, yeah. and we've we've had chats with them and things. So in that sense, um, it's great because America, as you know, has has a, a, a huge huge investment in these things. So um, I remember going across to Pittsburgh and seeing um, the Pittsburgh Steelers set up, and I've never mm. seen such a big facility in my life. Um, yeah. I was thinking, oh my gosh, it's, it's like like a university campus right now for just just the whole team. It was in, it was insane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we've had players go across that way um, and see what they've done. And um, there is links in terms of for foundation and younger kids. We've got the the Jaguars involved with the the Fulham Foundation parts areas. But um, in terms of data, not so. Yeah, just very different. I'm not sure a linebacker would make it too well in the in the Premier League right now. <laughs> no, no, that's brilliant. That's done in brilliant. five minutes. Yes. Good sub. <laughs> it's it's now come to the time to reveal your answers to what the footy are you lying for? Okay. So, um, so the first one was sport has brought me across eight countries and three continents. That is a lie. I've only gone to lie. seven countries so far. Um, the, I have been involved in three promotions and two demotions is true. So yes, yes absolutely. And I was the youngest first team sports scientist in the premier league is actually false. That was Pochettino's son at the time. And I was, uh, I am now the youngest sports scientist. You're not, no, but it's two, two truths, one lie. So you're giving me two lies. Oh, did I? I thought it was two, yeah. oh, on the document, I thought it said two, uh, two, two lies. Sorry. Two lies. That's fine. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. There you go. That's, no, that's no, no, no. around. Sorry. I play this game too much at university and I've got it muddled up <laughs> in my head. Sorry. No, it's fine. It's all, to be fair, you are the youngest now, so technically I was correct. Yeah, take it. You take it. That's it. I, <laughs> yeah, I cheated. I'll take that. There you go. I cheated you out of this. <laughs> I'll take that, man. Um, but yeah, obviously, we like to end the show with the what the footy question. Yeah. Um, and I'd obviously love to, obviously, you to direct it towards um, the five sub rule. There's obviously been a lot of talk about it in terms of injury prevention. What's your sort of thoughts on that? I think if we look at hockey as a, as a prime example, mm. that rolling subs has helped keep one, the intensity of the game up, but also helped when a player's absolutely fatigued, get them off, let them recover and go again. Um, so from a muscle injury point of view, I don't see the, the harm in it. And I think maybe you, it would be more tactical. You'd be able to do much more tactical yeah. uh, manoeuvring with it. Um, so, yeah, I have, I have no problems with it. No, personally. Yeah, because I, I know quite a few of the, the sort of other clubs have been like, oh, the big six and the number of players and the quality they have to be able to bring on like Gabriel Jesus off the bench in comparison to someone's a little bit different. Absolutely. But the, in terms of, yeah. yeah, absolutely. In terms of squad depth um, and the capacity they have um, comparatively to, to maybe us, I don't know, Sheffield United possibly. Um, yeah. It would be, it would be tough and it would be more tough because they'll be fresher and, um, you know, um, at the highest end of the highest end. Um, but from a medical point of view or from that side of things you have more ability to to keep your outputs as high as possible so um mm. if you know you've got a tactical tactics right you know you'll still be yeah. all right you'll still be all right no worries <laughs> that's, that's a good chat and, and is there anything within the game you'd, you'd love to see improve or really happen within your space more more tech more data or less tech <laughs> it depends on who you're asking um <laughs> um for me i think tech's got to a good point i think if we could get 
if we could be more accurate, I think that would be a benefit. Things like GPS, obviously, weather, the clouds yeah. has all so much influence. So if we um, and you know everyone wants to understand like can we actually predict an injury? We can't. But if there was that magic ability to do it, that would be phenomenal. Yeah. But I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> nah, nah, that's awesome. But yeah, Lewis McMillan, Scott Parker's right-hand man, Fulham's first team sports scientist, the man who's had a meteoric rise of him football. Pleasure having you on the podcast today. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. I very much appreciate it. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? knew Sam Allardyce liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now supporting Arsenal. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fan. What an episode there with Lewis, guys. I hope you loved that episode and really got to understand why and how sports science is a pivotal and fundamental part of the success of a modern football club. Guys, I'm back here next week, Monday, with a very special guest, a big, huge-time guest who works uh, in a high-profile role within uh, a football club within England. So, guys, enjoy the rest of your week and meet me back here next Monday morning. Peace out. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information, I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just 2 bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company.